Welcome to City Church Life on Life Leader Training. This is uh, part two of our leader training, but uh, anyone can uh, listen in. We, we actually recorded this live, but uh, some of the really great uh, feedback from our leaders, uh, the microphone wasn't able to pick up in the room. So I'm, I'm just going to uh, re-record this. And if you have the handout, Life on Life Leader Training Part 2, I'm just going to be uh, sort of uh, loosely and in a very abridged fashion walking through that. So... Um, yeah, if you want to have that out in front of you, this you might be able to follow along better. But started out by just remembering the vision of the Life on Life groups. It's sort of the center of the target and want to repeat that transformation is the primary goal, that the primary purpose of these groups is to make strong, mature disciples of Jesus at City Church. And uh, while we are called to do many things as a church, that we have one mission above all others, and that is uh, to make disciples. And as you'll hear today, our Life on Life groups are not the only part of our discipleship blueprint, but they are a foundational aspect that we believe you can't make strong disciples without uh, investing life on life in one another. Related to that, leadership development is a secondary goal. We want to develop our leaders here. That's why we invest in our leaders. That's why these groups are invitation only. And we start with, you know, the men and women that God has already raised up as leaders here, because we think the best way to care for our leaders is to train them to see your life, every part of your life through the lens of the gospel. And that leads to a, a Another aspect of uh, these groups is just caring for one another, and uh, I hope you've experienced that in your groups. So in our training on Sunday, we spent about 20 minutes sort of hearing from one another some shared best practices, uh, what's working, what's not working, some things uh, different leaders have found helpful, as as well as just some different feedback on the material, and I'm just going to sort of abridge that for you now. Uh, there was a lot of talk about uh, the podcast, that it was an appropriate length, uh, not cumbersome, but sufficient for the depth uh, that was uh, being addressed. Uh, the leaders liked the flexibility of uh, the number of questions that they didn't feel um, uh, tied to uh, going through necessarily every question. Uh, many of the leaders said these were some of the best discussions they've ever had in the uh, church. Sort of one best practice. Uh, different people approached prayer in their group in different ways. Some people moved prayer requests up to the very beginning and just found that was a way to get into people's hearts is to sort of hear their needs right from the jump. Others... Uh, have discovered that prayer requests sort of emerged through uh, this heart check-in. So there are different approaches on that, but again, the, the key is for you as a leader to get to the heart uh, as, as quickly as you, as you can. Um, some groups uh, set timers, uh, other groups don't, just timers to make sure that they uh, are kind of uh, moving along as as they might want to, but other, other groups did not find that necessary. 
Uh, one best practice, several of the groups sort of have group text, group check-ins that they send each other prayer requests and scripture verses. Um, different groups talked about uh, trying to find a rhythm and scheduling. Um, some groups meet every week. Some groups meet every other week. Some groups meet uh, two on, one off. Um, another interesting best practice is on this, uh, the groups that met every other week, they, they pair off uh, members with one another in that off week. And some groups, you know, pair off with the same person and other groups uh, pair off with different people so they can get to know one another better. Um, one group leader sends out, even, you know, this far in, she sends out an icebreaker the day before just to sort of get people uh, more comfortable with opening up. Um, so I'd say a common theme I've heard from people is this is a level of sharing they've not experienced before in church, and they were really encouraged about that. Um, uh, one bit of feedback for us to talk about uh, moving forward is um, that th this is a lot, you know, that a lot of uh, a lot of the participants feel like they're hearing uh, some of these things really for the first time, and uh, that's wonderful. But it can also be a little overwhelming. So we talked a lot about pacing. I think as one as one leader put it, you can't get your mind blown every week. After a while, you might just kind of uh, you can't take any more in. It just kind of goes out. So we're going to have to. Uh, Think about and talk about pacing. I think the room was pretty clear that it, it's not that it's it's not that it's too heady or too intellectual. It's actually that it's just very uh, it's very challenging and um, but accessible but challenging. And uh, so we're we're going to have to talk more about pacing. So more of it can go more of it can go down and uh, to be continued about that. I'm on page three of your handout. Uh, the bigger picture, I sort of uh, just gave sort of a pictorial image of where life on life groups fit in our larger discipleship vision, uh, that life on life groups are not the only part, but they're the foundational part. And sort of the image we reluctantly decided on, and I say reluctant because all images, all metaphors have limitations, was a, a four-story house with many rooms, uh, but no roof. And uh, every room's important, and, um, but it just sort of lets you as leaders see that, you know, we do have a comprehensive discipleship vision, and we don't want that to be a secret uh, to you or for you. And if you want to read more in depth about each of those rooms, uh, you can, there's an appendix to this that I believe starts on page uh, 12 uh, that goes through uh, room by room of the discipleship vision. I'm on page four now, uh, just sort of reminded people that life on life, there are 22 lessons divided over two units. And of course, this fall and winter, we've been doing unit one. And in the spring, we'll be moving into uh, unit two. And this just sort of gives you a preview of what's entailed in units one and two and how they fit together. 
Unit one is gospel formations. It's just more the sort of core truths of being a disciple. But unit two is is more gospel formation. It's how how these truths get sort of woven into the fabric of our life. So if you want to have a a sense of of where we're where we're headed, um, that the the lessons for unit two are spelled out for you there. Um, some people did ask before we get into the uh, helpful conditions for growing in Christ. Some groups did ask about scripture memory and how we're handling that. And uh, some groups uh, have done virtually no memorization, and some groups, you know, are sort of struggling along or feel some uh, compunction to be better at that. So we, some sort of best practices were passed along if maybe we can uh, provide note cards or we can digitize that or we can provide uh, different formats for those scriptures to be heard, maybe audio, maybe song. So uh, I captured that feedback and we'll, we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks of maybe how we can aid our leaders in scripture memory. So sort of the heart of our teacher training on Sunday was uh, helpful conditions for growing in Christ, and we talked about uh, desirable difficulty, uh, subversive spirituality, and letting the Holy Spirit lead. And uh, the phrase desirable difficulty is uh, just a phrase that is uh, sort of been used a lot in educational theory uh, these days that... uh, it's asking a question, what makes for effective deep learning? And sort of what, um, what researchers have discovered is that uh, a certain measure of what they call desirable difficulty is, uh, is important, that students uh, need to feel uh, like they're uh, engaged and involved and struggling um, and you know that that can be uh, that can be uncomfortable and disorienting for students at times, but that's sort of okay. Um, there was a quote uh, from the uh, journal Fast article that was in our training that I'll read. To be effective, learning needs to be effortful. That's not to say that anything that makes learning easier is counterproductive or that all unpleasant learning is effective. But the key here is desirable difficulty. The, the authors there are quoting the. Uh, research. The same way you feel a muscle burn when it's being strengthened, in the same way the brain needs to feel some discomfort when it's learning. Your mind might hurt for a while, but that, that is a good thing. And then here's the key line, comfortable learning environments rarely lead to deep learning. Comfortable learning environments rarely lead to deep learning. So we talked a little bit about how that's, you know, actually um, uh, very much in line with Jesus' teaching method um, in all great teachers, Socrates, Buddha, Confucius, but that uh, Jesus' teaching method uh, certainly engaged and unsettled uh, his listeners to uh, tease them into uh, engaging. Uh, We talked about, you know, Jesus' uh, method with his parables and what that might have been. But uh, it's, it's never been intuitive that desirable difficulty is, is an ally of, of great learning. But 
you know, the punchline for us as Life on Life leaders is to not be afraid of uh, a learning environment where, uh, where students really have to wrestle and where there's some disorientation and even some confusion. Um, we don't want the confusion to be from a lack of clarity, but the confusion may be of trying to work into the fabric of their life the implications of what, you know, what it means that we're justified, that we're adopted. So uh, don't be afraid of difficulty. Um, and we need to hear that uh, in our particular cultural, cultural moment. Um, desirable difficulty is a big topic for just teaching in general, but we kind of narrowed the lens a little bit and said, well, well what about, is there an ideal condition for specifically Christian education? And that's where we talked about subversive spirituality. That's a phrase from Eugene Peterson, who is uh, one of America's great pastors the last 50 years and kind of a, a pastor of pastors. And one of his uh, themes that he kept returning to was what makes for transformational teaching. And uh, Peterson was very interested in, incidentally, he's the guy who translated the message translation of the Bible. But Peterson was very interested in how the Bible itself um, presents the gospel, that it's not a straightforward textbook, but it's a, it's a story, uh, an unfolding story filled with uh, lament and poetry and letters uh, with mundane details, you know, right alongside apocalyptic visions. And uh, Peterson thought, you know, how the Bible was put together was instructive for us as teachers. Um, and the, the, the Bible often uses the word heart um, for what has to be changed. Think of, think of Jesus saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Uh, Peterson's sort of catch-all word for that was the imagination, that that's what we have to target is uh, sort of the, the control center of our lives that affects and impacts uh, what we desire and how we see and how we interpret uh, our experience. Uh, how can the imagination be targeted? And Peterson's answer to that was what he called a subversive spirituality, that uh, when we're encountering the Holy Spirit, when we're encountering the living God, that he subverts, he upturns our natural accustomed ways of looking at things. And that makes sense, right? That because we say that Jesus inaugurated an upside down kingdom. Uh, one where, uh, you know, when I'm weak, then I'm strong and the poor in spirit are blessed. And um, that we have to come and die that we may truly live. Um, and you know, Peterson's point is that Jesus uh, was and is ra a radically subversive uh, savior and teacher, that he upturns the status quo. And that means subversive spirituality will be one that disrupts our normal way of doing things. And um, again, the upshot for us as Life on Life leaders, I'm on page 10 here, is that while we want the main point of our lesson to be clearly spelled out, the application to our lives may cause a great deal of discomfort. 
uh, disequilibrium, maybe even some uh, confusion or consternation. Uh, we pointed out that uh, even healthy change is painful and, uh, and is often resisted. So, um, you know, don't be surprised that if something real and important is happening in your groups that you're going to encounter uh, resistance. Uh, this is not conscious. People aren't, you know, intentionally and consciously saying, I don't want to be changed. It's, it's just part of our nature that we resist. We resist grace because grace changes us, and, and we don't want to be changed. So for you as uh, Life on Life leaders, uh, the main point I wanted to make was that, uh, you know, to not be put off by desirable difficulty or subversive spirituality, that some of your best groups will be ones where people sort of feel disoriented or where they leave with, with more questions than, than answers. We don't, we don't want people walking out feeling like they, they've tied up everything with a, a neat bow and have eliminated all the mystery. Uh, lastly, we talked about letting the Holy Spirit lead and be the true teacher. And that uh, just as leaders, we have to remember it's not our job to bring Jesus into our life on life groups, but rather to be attentive uh, to where Jesus has already gone ahead of us and where he's already at work. Um, because Jesus has already deeply and intimately at work in the lives of the men and women in our groups. And um, that means it's, it's not our job to be the expert or the instructor or, you know, to provide the right answer. Uh, more important than those is to be attentive to, uh, you know, what is God doing here? And letting the Holy Spirit lead requires patience. I had asked the, the leader to adopt a listening posture, listening to what people are saying, listening to what people are not saying, kind of the, the story underneath the surface story. Um, it's sort of a, a listening posture to, God, what are you doing here? And um, again, it's, there are no hard and fast rules here. As a leader, you have to think, you know, or be attentive. Is this a rabbit trail or is the Holy Spirit leading us somewhere today where we need to go uh, or uh, conversely you know is this person because they're feeling threatened because their equilibrium is being challenged are they kind of throwing up a smoke screen um, because uh, like most of us we we get very nervous when our heart gets exposed uh, I also talked about this is why incidentally women are often more effective life-on-life -life leaders because as a general rule they don't feel a burden uh, to have all the answers and are, are less afraid, less ashamed to admit, I don't know, or I need help. Um, and, and we talked about letting the Holy Spirit lead. It just means increasingly that prayer won't just be a box we check at the beginning or end of our groups, but it'll become more woven into the uh, warp and woof of what you're doing because you're, 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 learning, you're learning to listen together. So I, I, training closed with an image of desirable difficulty and subversive spirituality and letting the Holy Spirit leave, lead uh, from uh, Teresa Vlizo, a uh, young woman who, uh, one of the great uh, teachers of the church, she died at the age of 24. And uh, 
I commend that quote to you. It's in your handout on page 11. But uh, yeah, really just the encouragement for us as leaders is uh, to welcome desirable difficulty, subversive spirituality, letting the Holy Spirit lead. And uh, as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. Thanks for listening.